You're listening to Tech Recruit, a podcast that educates talent acquisition and recruitment professionals on innovation to attract talent across all industries. We're glad you're here. Welcome to the Tech Recruit podcast. Today on our show, we have the very popular Tim Sackett with us, who was actually voted uh, HR's most influential professional. So welcome, Tim Sackett. (laughs) Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, it's very exciting. So Tim, you have a lot of things going on on your plate. And I think when I first spoke with you, uh, I think it was about five months ago, you were telling me some of the things that you're up to. And I, and I just gasped at one point and I said, how do you have time for all the things that you're doing? And you're also a father. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Probably not the best father. No. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I think I'm not, and I'm not a big guy into the, like the whole hustle porn culture either. Like where we think like, you know, oh, I sleep three hours a day and you just have to you know blah 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 um i'm efficient you know i work effectively i think one thing i found early on i think people look at the amount of writing i do and they're kind of overwhelmed by that and um when i started writing i found i had a skill that i didn't know i had i just i can write and and write i I can produce content very quickly um probably much quicker than most people so that really helps um from that standpoint because I think that so many people will write like a blog post of, you know, 500 words, 800 words and like, Oh my gosh, it takes me a week and I can literally kick something out in 15 or 20 minutes. So it's, it's just a different skill set that I didn't, I mean, again, I didn't, I wasn't, I mean, I'm sure I was born with it, but then through practice, 10 years of writing stuff like that, um, you just kind of learn that. So, you know, that helps a lot. And then, you know, I, I always, I'm also, I, I have a blog post. That's one of my most read. That's like, I think it's uh, a complete like load of crap when someone says they work 80 hours a week and I will have people like comment, like there's probably a hundred plus comments on that blog post about people screaming at me that I work 80 hours, blah, blah, blah. And I, I know there's actual people that work 80 hours, but most people say they work like 60 hours or 80 hours and they really don't like they work half that, but they say they work that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't work a crazy amount of hours, but I might work a full 60. Um, you know, I spend a lot of nights and weekends doing writing and catching up on emails and doing all this other stuff uh, with associations and stuff like that. So, so there's definitely a time commitment that, that you have to put in. But I also feel like there's this, like you said, like, you know, oh, you're the most, you know, followed person on Twitter or HR influencer, all this stuff. Influential. And, like, I get, influential. I have, I got this little, I always, in my mind, it's probably the Midwest upbringing. I have this little window of time <laughs> that I can be this micro celebrity in HR. So I'm trying to take advantage of it and do as much as I can. And I have uh, a wife of 25 years and, and uh, that supports me with that. So that's awesome. So before we get too far into how it is that you're doing what you do, I, I want to back up a little bit because there may be I mean, there might actually be people out there who are just hearing about you for the first time. So I do want to give them a little background on who it is that you are. Now, the blog you're talking about is Fistful of Talent. Yeah, well, Fistful of Talent is one that I write on and contributed. That's where I first started writing. I still contribute there a couple times a month. I write on my own blog, timsecond.com, every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been doing that for about eight years now. Is that the Tim so, Second Project? 
Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so, and my buddy Chris Dunn is the one um, who found me and got me writing. He's the f- founder of his full of talent. He also named uh, the Tim Sackett project. Um, and there's kind of a funny story behind that in terms of just like, I didn't really want to do my own blog and he kind of like twisted my arm and said, we'll just call it a project. And then if you decide, you know, you don't want to do it after 90 days, we'll just say the project ended or whatever. Right. And that was eight, that was eight years ago. Um, and so he got me, so he, him and I are the only ones I know that probably are right every single day in our space of recruiting and HR, um, and definitely write more about recruiting than HR. Um, but in leadership and all kinds of stuff, like I literally will write just about anything at this point. The audience is kind of used to that from me. I think when you first start out blogging, you try to be very specific to, you know, what you tell you, what your audience is, what you want to do. And after a while, it's kind of like, like podcasts. Like I think people, um, if they like it, they come back and they kind of like it for the, being a part of the conversation. Um, and sometimes you might talk about tech recruiting. Sometimes you might talk about whatever like you know shopping or something who knows like you can you i mean they come back for the conversation because they feel like they're a part of this community right yeah absolutely absolutely and i think that's so important i think one of the goals that seems to be on everybody's plate is having more of a brand and to do that and being more influential it's all about your knowledge and imparting that knowledge And so the ability to sit down and write and have it be something that you feel is meaningful can be something very personal and the ability then to just do it consistently. That is a project. And was that sort of your goal going into it? Was that the project? Um, Yeah, it was, it was definitely personal branding at a point. Um, And and what happened though, and I'm still working to come out of this is because I will go to like a conference and I'll speak and, I'll get off and somebody will say, Oh gosh, like, you know, this, that was awesome. And, and like, what do you do? And as at that point, you're like, gosh, if I fail that personal branding that you don't know what I do and they go, well, no, no, no. I, I know that you write and you speak and you know, the book and all this stuff. That's awesome. But like, you actually just do that to make money. And I'm like, well, no, I, I have a full-time job. I run a staffing firm in Michigan and, and all this stuff. And then I'm like, Oh, like I've totally failed. Or, what really happened was my personal brand became bigger than my corporate brand. Um, and so now I'm working on how do I bring, bring those to, those together and leverage those um, because I can get into the office of almost any HR leader, TA leader in corporate America um, and get in front of them and have a really good conversation. But they're getting, they're, they're having me in their office because of my personal brand, not because I'm the staffing vendor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that tends to sell itself in a way, doesn't it? Because you have that sort of star quality about you. Well, you would hope, but not as much as you think, right? Like they sometimes sometimes they think, well, gosh, you're doing all this other stuff. Are you really going to have time for us? And then hmm. there's that kind of realization of like, you know, I'm not the actual, I'm not the one doing recruiting, right? Like I have teams of recruiters <laughs> that are doing the recruiting. Um, I'm just the one, you know, that's on the top of the pyramid here for, you know, for all intents and purposes. So, um, but I've actually had that, I've had that feedback where I was talking to, you know, a TA shop about a project and, um, uh, and they were just like, well, we're not sure if you're going to have like the time to focus on us. And I'm just like, for one is like, I'm not the one that you're, that should be, is going to be focusing on you. I have like all these other people that will be focusing on you. It's not about me, but you know, that's, that's the, one of the things you learn when you start blogging and speaking and doing this is people don't, they don't want to hire your company. They want to hire you. Right. And that's hard to scale. 
Um, and so there's always that issue at play as well. So one of, that's, it's interesting, it was actually kind of a, a good segue. One of the questions I was gonna ask you is if, do you work on your own recs or do you manage some of the job searches? But it makes sense that you have a staff that does that. But I was curious just how in the trenches you actually are. So you're more doing a lot of consulting right now. Definitely do a lot of consulting on the TA side. Help, I mean, recruiting recruiter, um, like, like TA process efficiency and um, and just all of that. A lot of tech stack stuff. So I do though. I mean, I I have meetings with my recruiting teams every single week. Um, so I'm still in the weeds in terms of, you know, I we just had a couple of projects that are helped. Um, you know, work on in terms of just uncovering people. I'll come come in on a Saturday. If I know recruiters are going to be in here working on like a last minute project, I'll come in and help them source. I still consider myself a practitioner and my ability to kind of do that. Plus with my network, it actually makes it really easy for me to reach out for people. Sometimes, especially if I have a new recruiter working on something that they have a really small network, like I can, you know, with a couple of hours work, I can pretty much fill their position or at least help them fill their position. and so some of that's just helping them, showing them. I, I mean, I demo over 100 TA techs a year. So, I mean, I, I always tell people, like, I don't know if we're the best recruiters I think we are. I know my tech stack I would put against anybody in the country, um, yeah. maybe anybody in the world. Like, I know, because I, just because I'm, I'm so ingrained into the TA tech world, I know that I can get uh, access to tech stuff that's not even out publicly yet, right? So I get to test and try a lot of stuff. And some of that stuff is awesome. Some of that stuff doesn't work for us, but I get to you know be on the forefront of all of that. So I actually have two questions for you along those lines. One I was yeah. going to ask you, because this question comes up a lot, and it's probably one of the most difficult things, is how do you hire great recruiters? Or how do you hire recruiters who are going to produce? What does that DNA look like? Gosh, I wish I had the magical formula. And it's something, that with um, I'm part of I'm, a, I'm in, incoming president for ATAP the, the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals and something that we're trying to put together and we bring people from staffing RPO corporate um, even the vendor community together in like committees and they'll work through that process to say what does it take to hire a, a better recruiter or and like in my case I'm in Lansing Michigan um, I hire a ton of entry level people that have no recruiting experience. They might have experience doing something else, um, but it could be across the board. I mean, one of my top recruiters was a guy we brought in who was managing a car wash, like literally managing a car wash. Um, but he had this personality, like when you would see him and just how he gravitated towards people and he's exceptional. I, I just, I always feel like the right personality you can teach anybody to recruit. We're not trying to launch the space shuttle. Um, and, I, and for the longest time, I always told people like I would only hire four year degree people. And, and, and again, some of that wasn't necessarily Explain educational. Explain that, 40 degree? What is that? No, no, a four year degree. Oh, sorry, yes. Like a bachelor's. Yeah, like a bachelor's in something. I could care, it could be whatever, basket weaving. I didn't, it didn't matter. For me, it wasn't the educational biases as much as I think that good recruiters are people who stay with something and get it over the finish line. And if you've gone through a four-year degree process at a university, they don't make it easy for you to graduate. Like you have to go through the classes and you have to pay the money. But then even at the end, you have to like, 
fill out the application and pay the fee and do the thing and blah, blah, blah. You can't, you have to keep dotting I's and crossing T's and that's recruiting, right? Like we get yeah. the opening and then you send some resumes to the hiring manager and you think they're good. And then he says, no, they're crap. And then you go back at it. And eventually bad recruiters give up and another recruiter will fill that. Right. Mm-hmm. And the best recruiters are the ones who just stay with it, stay with it, stay with it. And so for me, that was why I chose education. But then I realized that you can actually have that same kind of personality in a lot of ways. Like I found stay-at-home moms. Um, we hired a couple of stay-at-home moms that were out of the workforce for like five to seven years that were exceptional, right? Like they, they came to work and thought it was a holiday. They were like, this is like the best job ever. Like I don't have to deal with, you know, 14 school things and kids and running around, like all the crap that they had to do and all the different like priorities. And so we, um, we found out I have a tanker, um, a, a mil, like an army. He was in a tank, drove a tank, right? Retired out of the military. Um, and again, just an exceptional guy that we were able. So I, I wish I had the magic, like, you know, formula yeah. for what it took. Right. And it just, I don't know if it's out there. When you, your team in particular, I'm, I'm curious what you work on, um, technology, um, specifically on technology positions, do you yeah. split your team from sales to recruitment or is everybody full desk? No. Yeah, we split. So we have, um, recruiters, we have account managers and we have sales. So we have, we kind of break it up in those three areas for the staffing side. Okay. Um, and so then I guess that leads me to my next question, your tech stack. I, I yeah. find this to be so interesting because I think it, it obviously it varies by every company and every agency. Tell me about your tech stack. Well, I don't share my internal tech stack um, with staffing people, right? Because I think that's an actual competitive advantage that we have over everybody else. Um, I will espouse to a lot of technologies that we use, whether it's you know CRM, sourcing tech, um, you know SMS. Like, there's all kinds of pieces to the to the tech stack that we use that we think is really good. Um, you know, but when I meet with corporate TA, a lot of times their tech stack is a little bit differently. And I think we really take a look at it from the core of what's your APS? What does that do? Um, what are your results? What are you measuring? I, I mean, really the effectiveness side from recruiting to me doesn't necessarily, you could have no tech and be great at recruiting. Yeah. I think the technology allows us to be great faster. Yeah. So if you're, and so we, and we put a ton of money into training and that's the one resource you know, that I'll share is that we've been now uh, two and a half years in on using social talent mm-hmm. um, for our re- training our recruiters. And it's a nonstop. So, I mean, every single month, every single week, even my most experienced recruiters are still getting developed on new stuff on what's the latest and greatest. And I think that's super important because I was in staffing environments and corporate TA environments for a long time. And what we tended to do was train a recruiter till they got up to speed. And then we just forgot about them, sure. you know, like, all right. Yeah, yeah, they're good. Tim's good. He's got it. Just give it to Tim. He can, he'll fill it. Don't worry about it. He's, he's good. And then the only way that you got training was that if you were new or you sucked, yeah. and if you were good, you had to kind of do it on your own. And what I found was we saw like noticeably like increases in revenue and placements when we actually started developing our entire team. Um, because we measure everything. I'm a crazy person when it comes to analytics and metrics, when it comes to recruiting, and so we were able to show, like, I mean, a, a substantial ROI by actually doing that kind of ongoing training month after month. 
that's uh, the continuous training. That's, that's interesting. That's so exceptional that you're, you would, you would train your recruiters continuously. Cause I actually started in a fortune 500 recruitment agency and uh, that, that was really it. You, it, was, it was hands down probably the best training I ever had to start in recruiting. Um, but it was videos and it was extensive reading and, and doing, you know, um, you know, what shadowing and, you know, those, uh, you know, different power plays and, and uh, you know, and then that was it. And then it was just you're kind of on your own. Um, so, so that's, that's interesting. And, and Johnny Campbell is great. Isn't he? Love, I love Johnny. Yeah. That, the entire some team. of the best resources. Well, and again, he, Johnny came out, I mean, he started his career in, in the staffing world, right? That's what he was. He ran, you know, a staffing company and was a grunt like a lot of us. Um, and so then when he came up and said, how would I train other people to get them up to speed faster to keep them better? Like he, he knew, he knew what it was going to take. And like, when we're talking about the world that we recruited now, when everything is changing and API stuff is changing every day. Uh A great example is like LinkedIn, right? Like LinkedIn in the last month or so basically eliminated the ability for you to download email lists, right? You used to be able to say, Oh, I'm going to export all my contacts and I have this great email list. And they just kind of like, they just decided, Nope, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. We'll make it harder on recruiters to take that network with them somewhere. Now you can still get the email of an individual, but now you'd have to go through, like I would have to go through 10,000 people on my LinkedIn connections and individually put their you know email into a, a spreadsheet. But again, through social talent, like they, they find ways around that. They find other technologies that will allow you to do that and different things. And so my team stays relevant, right? They say, cause we, we make sure we download our contacts continuously, probably on a monthly by monthly basis, because you never know when that's going to change. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I don't have this network anymore. And we just, we have to have it, you know, continuously, I would um, download and export my contacts in LinkedIn. Cause as recruiters, that's where we live on LinkedIn and you do a recruiting um, conference, you know, you do the, the Michigan recruiters conference and I do yeah. LAX tech recruit in Los Angeles. So, you know, we're all about helping train recruiters. So we live on, on LinkedIn. So yeah. And when they took away that, the emails on your, when you export, I was just like, what? I did it three times thinking I was doing something wrong. I know. Like why the column's still there, but it's empty. I don't understand this. Um, yeah. yeah again, like Social I'll talk talent. to corporate, okay. I'll talk to corporate people that have like, they're like, Oh, I've never exported my contacts. And you're thinking, well, what happens when you get hacked or you lose that or whatever, like your entire value as a recruiter is built, not just in LinkedIn, but it's built on your total network. Right. And there's a lot of times that's where we've decided to keep that that network kind of, you know, displayed, you know, for, for, you know, for the most part, whether, or or your ATS, I mean, it's it's a combination of both, you know. Okay. So no, no, um, not too much about your own tech stack, but you are on several boards, one of them being Luxo. And I actually spoke with Matt Chambers um, a couple weeks ago out in Denver. Yeah. Very nice gentleman. Um, so we were kind of exploring um, his applicant tracking system and that integration. Are you okay with talking about that? For if sure. No, I love this. <laughs> no, no, I love okay. Luxo. I mean, it's an ATS, um, and we went through. I went through through a year, probably a year and a half of just scouring the planet for an ATS that we really wanted. And it's a big decision because it's a commitment. 
Well, it, for the most part, right, like there's there's one or two ATSs in the staffing world that basically own 90% of the market and they're basically garbage and, and, and they're expensive garbage. And yet we go, oh gosh, you have to have this one, right? Um, you know, if you don't use bullhorn, like, oh my gosh, like you don't even know what's going on. And I'm like, they're terrible. Like, why? I don't want it. Like, I, the 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 bad ATS I had was was better than that, and I didn't have to pay half of what I was paying for it. So there's probably 1,200 ATSs on the market. I really yeah. wanted to go out and find something. And what happened was, um, you know, Stacy Zapar um, had put me on Alexa though. Cause she started using it and was like, Hey, do you know these guys? Like I started using this tool and it's completely incredible. I demoed it the first time and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've been searching for for so long. Um, not perfect, but they're new. Um, and, and they're continuing to kind of build, build and change. But for the most part, like what we're able to do is so much better uh, than most of the ATSs on the marketplace. And it's again built in the last probably 18 months. So I felt like the different the differentiator with them was the the um, campaigning, the um, social like the CRM social media component of it. And it that is I felt something that was hard to well, it seemed like like a dream to marry it with an applicant tracking system, but then you almost have that nervousness, like if I marry it and then I have to, you know, uh, get rid of one of them, or we have some sort of change in our system and they're married together, is that going to create a problem? Should I have them separately? You know, and, and I'm sure yeah. as, as a, to go back to your consulting, um, you probably come into situations with HR teams and companies where they have those sort of pains where we have this tech stack, we've grown or we've gotten rid of this department or whatever the catalyst might be for your engagement. Um, and, and maybe those are some of the things that you help them go through. Are you open to maybe yeah. giving some case studies on, on things you've done? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, one of the things I knew that we wanted to do with our tech stack was this ability to nurture candidates, right? I mean, we already know on a CRM standpoint that if you nurture clients or, you know, we see it and it's been used in retail forever. So like I'm a shoe guy, like I probably have 200 pairs of shoes at home and I constantly will be looking online like at Nordstrom's and see this pair of shoes and then you go off and all of a sudden that shoe just keeps coming back at you across you know, programmatically, it's, it's hitting you in, in multiple ways mm -hmm. to the point where it just wears you down. And I'm thinking, <laughs> why, why aren't we doing that with candidates? I mean, because here's what happens, right? And we, right, um, we, have, we have a digital kind of phone system and, and we track everything. And so what we knew was our, our bad recruiters, recruiters that failed in our environment, would try to reach out to a candidate once or twice, right? They have a list of 25 candidates. They reach out to them, those candidates don't respond and they just give up and they'll go with whatever candidate did respond. Even though if you rank those 25, one to 25, in terms of who, who they would rather would want, rarely would those top 10 candidates actually respond. But as we went through and started nurturing, through email, through SMS, through phone, like a, multi, like a multitude of that, over like a 72 hour period, after we got to about nine contacts, we would get about 90% reply. Mm -hmm. And that was became the big difference was our ability to automate that nurturing process, right? To be able to to go forward and say, not just through email, not just through in-mail, because those had a really low response rate. SMS has a super high response rate. But the combination of all of it together was what really um, set it, set, I think, set the, the, the numbers apart in terms of being able to get people to respond. 
because that was really the difference, right? The difference between us as a recruiter or your competition across the street was, are we, are we willing, are we getting, doing the work to get somebody to respond to us so that we can get them in front of, you know, whoever. And it doesn't, and I can sit there and say, that's a staffing issue. It's a corporate talent acquisition issue as well. It doesn't matter whether I'm selling somebody into a corporation or I'm a corporate talent acquisition person who's trying to get a hiring manager to hire, you know, a position so I can get it off my, you know, my, my list and then work on something else. It, it doesn't change. Being a recruiter in corporate or being a recruiter in staffing really shouldn't be any different. I, I have always felt as I've been a recruiter in the last 10 years, every time I've reached out to a company and I've, I've worked with Red Bull, I've worked with Live Nation, Ticketmaster, that you are green dot. You are the face of that company in, in, in kind of a different way, but in a big way, because the first person um, a candidate speaks to is the recruiter. And it's, it's marketing because it's your first touch point. It's how you engage that person. And that experience is, is that first impression. Um, so to, yeah. to combine it with that ability to nurture on social media and have that remarketing component of it when they visit your site and then they start getting these like either it's ads or blogs or what have you to kind of nurture and remind them of who you are just seems like it goes hand in hand. But at the same time, I feel like it's somewhat new that recruiters are now taking advantage of it. And as I've been doing my conferences and inviting speakers to come, um, especially in the Los Angeles area, I've asked them, so in your recruiting division, do you have um, a designated marketer who helps with the marketing and nurturing the candidates? And, and, and it's always this, that's an, an initiative that we have we haven't quite gotten there yet, but it's something that we're doing probably yeah. next year. And they're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, no. And again, that's one of the issues I think with any tech stack. And, and I do a lot of testing of the stack and doing things is every stack is going to be different, right? There's not one perfect stack for any company. It all depends. But if you don't have anybody willing there to keep work, like keep looking at stuff, keep testing stuff, you're never going to get to that point where you actually have something that works really well. Um, from that standpoint. And, and I see that a lot in organizations where they're just overwhelmed. They don't use the technology they have. And so they go, well, we're not going to bring in more technology, which is the exact wrong thing, right? The right thing would be to say, hey, you have an ATS. You're not using it like you should. Let's go back through and look at that. Let's go back through and use that as, you know, let's become a super user of that piece of technology you have. And then we can find out what is it that you really need that you don't have. Um, you know, but I want to get back to your, like your, the face of, of a corporation as a, as a recruiter, right? Whether you're an internal recruiter or you're an agency recruiter, I do think that's important. It's one of the failures of the whole VMS, MSP world, right? Is that we said, okay, hey, we want to protect these hiring managers from all these idiots calling them all day long, trying to sell them staffing services. Great. Let's put a VMS in place. Um, the reality is, though, is that from a candidate experience perspective, it becomes an awful experience. And they don't necessarily equate that awful experience with Tim Sackett staffing, right? They will equate it to whatever corporation that you're trying to staff for because you're saying, look, we sent it to this hiring manager over, over here at Acme Inc. or whatever. And they're the ones not responding. I'm the one that told you about the job. I'm the one that believed in you. I'm the one that sent you. And so the VMS world is really, like, I think there's companies that are doing it better. I love, 
a lot of companies are taking it back in house, right, and running their own kind of internal MSPs. Um, Harley Davidson is a great example. They went and kind of had this nightmare experience of different VMSs over a long period of time. They finally said, no, we're just going to buy the tech and we're going to run our own internal VMS with Harley Davidson people because the candidate experience side became so important because so many companies are using the staffing side of the world to, to really fill a lot of their critical roles, right? So it's right. important for them, I think, to do that. And we just keep like stepping on ourselves and, and creating bad experiences for no real reason um, with the technology that's available today. Tim, um, if, if I may, just um, for those listeners who don't know what a VMS is, a vendor management yeah. system, could you explain yeah. a little bit about what that does? It's basically software that keeps staffing agencies and corporate uh, hiring managers apart, right? It's kind of like a, a wall of whatever, <laughs> um, where a, a hiring manager can say, hey, I have a need for an engineer. It goes out to the staffing vendors. The staffing vendors all see it at the same time. They can put those candidates into the process. The hiring manager then will see those candidates, but never the two shall meet, right? There's this kind of line of demarcation. Um, and again, in some cases, right, um, it, it's an inclusive, diverse environment. So you give an equal opportunity to all of your staffing providers, and sometimes you find some really great ones. Um, and it, but, at the, but it also, you, this lack of manager communication, I think, becomes a real hindrance to hiring great talent. Because you can, because the job description only has like a small amount of what that really is to fill those jobs. And so we are constantly on the, on the how do we get in front of hiring managers to really understand what they're looking for or give me feedback on a candidate that I thought was perfect and you totally just threw to the side and said, no, that person's crap. Like, why? And then they'll come back and go, oh, well, because I need this, this, and this. And you're like, well, that's not even on the job description. <laughs> how was I supposed to know that, right? Um, and so I do think it's, it's critical that we have to figure that side of it out. And again, I think the technology... I, you know, again, we do a lot of VMS work. So I, the technology does work to a certain extent. I think it can be better. And I think I'd love to see the evolution of where this all goes because I don't think it's it's to where it should be. Um, it's it's interesting because as bad as it is the VMS and, and, and all the things that you're saying are absolutely hands down true because it, it's, it's that separation. And unless I have that that um, relationship with the hiring manager and I'm standing behind a system or even standing behind an internal recruiter, I don't know what's going on. But if yeah. you get that sign into that VMS, it's like, woo! <laughs> yeah, until you I find out it's account. a big giant. Yeah, until you find out it's a big giant black hole and you never get feedback and your recruiters get instantly like, you know, depressed at having to work on a VMS order. Like that's one of those issues, right? Oh, that happens yeah. is that when you're in a VMS with 70 suppliers, mm -hmm. it doesn't become who finds the best candidate. It becomes who finds any candidate the fastest and jams them into the VMS. And to me, that's another broken process of hiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is, is I don't want, if I'm a corporate talent acquisition leader, I don't want the fastest talent. I want the best talent, the fastest I can that I don't hurt my chances of getting the best talent. And so, so many times if you go, oh, like we, we work with automotive companies here, like, you know, um, in, in, in Michigan, and they'll open um, like a, a production supervisor opening. And within 27 minutes, there'll be 100 people put into that system. Now, you can't tell me that 100 people were called 
and screened and talked to and they'll go oh well no we have a talent pipeline blah 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 like no you don't like this is just garbage right like all you're doing is throwing somebody in that you know that you talked to yesterday that might be open but are they really the best fit for that job what i do like and we're working with some clients now that have taken the stance of we're going to give you an opening right so you have this developer opening you have 72 hours before we're going to open it up to you. So you have a 72 hour window to go out and, and really screen and find the talent that you have. And then you only get two or you only get two or three spots. So you can put in your best two, right? Well, you, so what happens is, is when you give this kind of dead period of 72 hours where nobody can put anything in the system and then you give them a limited amount, it forces people to really go through and actually do real recruiting, real sourcing, right? Find the best person. Don't find, you know, the fastest person. Um, it's been a problem, I think, with a lot of the Indian call center environments as well is because all they want is openings, 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 and then they are paying people 12 cents a day to, to just call, uh, you know, a million people and then fill, fill the funnel with crap, you know. And so we've got to figure that out. And I think there are some ways to do that um, and make it more effective for, for both sides, really. It's a lose-lose right now. I mean, the, the, the yeah. corporate TA leaders I talk to are so frustrated with their VMSs because they're not giving them better talent. They're giving them fast talent, but it's not better talent. Yeah. I, I wonder, too, on the – because I've been in these situations before, too, and, and it's exactly that same thing where our recruiters were just getting frustrated because they're just – it feels like you're just filling their database with candidates. And vice versa, because you might find a candidate and they say, oh, this candidate's already in our database. Thanks for pointing them out to us. We're going to go ahead and, and contact them. I mean, and how do you really protect against that? Um, you know, if you're a new Yeah, we don't, we don't work with those companies. Okay. Because, I mean, this is unethical, right? Like, just because right. you had somebody in your database from four years ago that your recruiters were too lazy to call, and I called them, I screened them, I found them and they're interested in your company, doesn't mean that you own that person, you shouldn't pay a fee, or that you shouldn't do whatever. Um, it's the same issue when we run into a lot of the companies in the VMS world where they'll jam somebody in before calling them, and then we've called them, screened them, talked to them, and then when we get in there, they'll say, oh, oh, this ABC company put them in before you guys, so they get it. And we'll have the candidate like sign a letter and sign and send an email that says, look, I never talked to that company, right? I never told them to send my stuff in. I talked to HRU, I talked to Tim, and that's the company that, you know, is going to represent me. And so, but we, but if we, and so that happens, right? If the company would come back and say, nope, we have rules and they put them in first, sorry, you lose. We would say, thank you so much. Good luck. But we are no longer going to work with you. Like there's way too many companies that have needs and need good talent for us to work with companies that I think are just unethical when it comes to what we do, you know, and not valuing like how much Stacey, like tell me like we work most of our time. We work for free. Uh -huh. We're constantly working for free A lot of ways. For, that yeah. for that small chance that we might have a client that pays us. Right. Yeah. And so our whole job as staffing recruiters is not necessarily finding talent. It's finding how do we not work for free? <laughs> That's it. And if we can do that, then that becomes, then we become more valuable than somebody else. Gosh, you can almost have a, like a big counseling session for us <laughs> contingency workers. And you know what? 
God bless those recruitment agencies who've gotten themselves on um, where they're not doing contingency and they're doing like on demand and embedded or they do retain search. That is brilliant and good for them. Yeah, but I do think retain search is also dying, right? Like I think there's no reason. I, I was talking with the people at Scout the other day and they're like, hey, you know these retain companies that are getting like 70,000, 100,000 to do a search? you know, for a CIO candidate or something. I'm like, yeah, you know, and they're like, do you think you could find that same talent? I'm like, oh God, in a heartbeat, no doubt. Like there's nothing they do that we can't do. And he's like, yeah, like I think we can disrupt that entire industry. And I'm like, well, it should be because it's a joke, right? I mean, retained searches for, for, the, for, for the most part, there's certain, I think, specialized executive type things or whatever that you might want to use. Someone that you truly trust knows your culture, right? Sure. And, you know, and, and we've gotten to the point with our, a lot of our direct um, contingent searches that we walk away from most of that unless we do a modified. So what we'll do is to say, look, I don't want you to pay retained full. But what I will say is to say, hey, if you're unwilling to pay an estimated 10% of that fee up front. So let's say the fee for a $100,000 person is going to be $25,000, right? If you don't pay me $2,500 up front, then I'm not even going to start to search. It's a waste of my time because right. you're not showing me that you're serious about filling that job. And so we call that modified and that works really well. And for the most part, we'll walk away from direct searches where people will say, well, yeah, here, hey, if you can find us a software engineer for, you know, $27,000, we would hire a hundred of them. Like, shut up. Like, I don't want that. I don't want that. That's a purple squirrel. We're not going to fill that job. You're not going to fill that job. You're just wasting my time, you know? Right. Um, so you mentioned something, or there's so many like uh, thoughts going on in my head. But um, no, I I love this. I think this is is a really good conversation too for those uh, agencies or contingency workers or recruiters out there to just hear how other companies are structuring their deals. Because when you get more specialized and you have more experience it is really difficult to step into um, a new job order and say, okay, I'm going to work this data science position, <laughs> you know, and hopefully you guys will take my candidate or you won't close your job or you won't hire somebody internally, or you won't use one of those five other staffing agencies. You know, it's just kind of everybody out the gate, but having yeah. that client have skin in the game, I think is really where it's at. This is a difficult position. I'm going to work really hard on it and I have a success, um, you know, history of success in doing these type of positions. Um, so yeah, having that modified search, I think that's key. Well, I think part of it is we're so desperate. I mean, maybe not now, but I think in the history of staffing, we've been so desperate of just wanting the opening, right? Like just give me the order as, as long as I have the order, then, you know, we'll work on it. And then you find out that it's just someone threw you in order to get them off the phone, right? Um, they really didn't want to hire that person or they weren't going to hire that or they knew you would never find it. Okay. And for me, it, and, and this was really difficult for our salespeople because we had salespeople that had grown up in that kind of industry of, hey, we got the signed contract, we got the opening, you work it no matter what. And we had to really go back and say, no, I, I want to have a real conversation with that client or that potential client about the, what the partnership looks like from our side and from their side. And it's almost the same kind of thing that we, I, and I did this in corporate. So we, you know, we would do these kind of SLAs, these service level agreements, right? Where I go to a hiring manager and say, Hey, I'm going to go and do this search for you. 
but and here's what I'm going to do. Boom, boom, boom. And that, and, and then, but I need you to agree that you're going to do some things first, right? You're going to give me a 24 hour feedback. You're going to, you know, if I set up an interview, you're definitely going to, you know, show up or it's going to be within, you know, 48 hours or whatever. You can come up with all these different kinds of like service level agreements. It's the same thing should be happening between staffing and in, in the client base that they, they work for the corporate TA. And again, it should be a win-win for both. And I, I just try to refuse as much as I can not to get in these, these lose-win situations where the, the corporate side is winning and I'm losing because I know I'm going to hate working with them. At the same time, I also don't want them to think that they're losing and I'm winning. So I don't want them to feel like, oh, you're filling these positions, but your markup is 65% and gosh, we feel raped by you. You know, like I never want that to happen. So I'm super transparent in, in all of my pricing. Like I will sit down with any client that we are working with, right? That's signing a check for us. And that's the only way I call a client a client is they're actually paying me money. If they're not paying me money. They're not a client. <laughs> um, and I will lay down my financials in front of them and show them where every single dollar is going, even the dollars that are going into my profit, right? Into wow. my pool. And then, and at that point, there's nothing they can be upset about. Like either you feel like what we're doing is worth something, or you don't. And if you don't, then we probably don't need to work together. And you know, and and again, you I can show you like what you were being charged. Like I talked to a company yesterday at Denver, and they told me their numbers, and I'm like, here's exactly what that company's making on you. And they were just shocked by that. They had no idea. And you're just like, you know, you I'm not, I want to make money but I don't want to take advantage of you either because I want this long-term kind of arrangement. So yeah, I got this, I'm fighting the sun. It's coming down to my face. So I'm trying to. <laughs> yeah. The sun's going down over there. It's, it's getting towards <laughs> dinner time. Well, I, I, um, you mentioned earlier just kind of how you, and I heard you mention this on a, on a so, somewhere else. Um, so I wanted to kind of tie them together because I thought it was a really important point. Um, about how when you have a client that you don't want, you know, somebody who's unethical and you just say, you know, we don't want that business and you kind of shrug it off. You, you mentioned, and I feel like it was on another podcast or, or somewhere, and you mentioned something about the, um, it was Gen X, I think, having this attitude or this personality where they just kind of let things go. Um, do, or wait, no. Yeah, it was like, or what? What is the new generation? Not the millennials. Gen Z. Gen Z. Thank you. We're Gen X. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah, like, yeah, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> We're Gen X. Um, no, it's like that Gen Z that Gen Z kind of like letting things go and um, just sort of embracing that. Do you want to talk about that? A little? Do you know what I do? What I'm referring yeah. to? Yeah. Well, I have two sons who are Gen Z, and I kind of learned it from them. Like I my gen X personality is to fight, right? When someone talks bad about me or bad about my company or whatever, my first reaction is to fight back and fight for my company, fight for my people. And my sons like grew up in this world of like social media and trolls. And, um, and again, I get it in my blog all the time, right? There's people, what happens when you blog is when you first start writing, people will find you and it's this tiny little audience and everybody that stays loves you. They're just like all fans, right? So it's like, oh my gosh, you're having this, you have this great little period where you have 50 people who are reading your blog, but they all are fans and they're making comments and sending you messages. And you're thinking, this is the greatest affirmation of my life. I'm going to do this forever. And then the audience gets bigger and bigger. And what you find as the audience get bigger is there are people that show up every day because they actually hate you. They actually, they really don't like you. 
And they're looking for you to write something, say something so that they can tear you apart in the comments. And that's the whole troll mentality right now. Younger generations like Gen Z, they grew up with that in social media. They knew they had followers that if they did something wrong or said something wrong, they were going to be destroyed. And what the troll is hoping that you'll do is that you will fight. That's what they want, right? They want to have that interaction. They want to tear you apart in public and they want to see you because they want to get your goat that way. Whereas they'll go my sons would sit there like somebody would say something on their Instagram post or whatever. And they're like, Oh my gosh, you're so right. I'm such an idiot. Thanks for pointing that out. Knowing that the rest of the audience is going to look at that other person and go, you're an idiot. Like you're a jerk. And in the person that was saying, Hey, you're right. And they're making fun of themselves for being self-disparaging. Like they're going, that person has a really good like self-control and they're taking, they're taking this, they're taking the higher road of it. Right. And not taking the bait. And so I think we can do that. Like I never, like I break up with a lot of clients and I have clients that break up with me and I, and I always try to make that a real positive thing, right? If there's a way that I can help them, if there's another vendor I can give them, whatever that might be, just because you, you and I didn't work out in this relationship doesn't mean that I don't like you. There's a lot of friends that I will do staffing work for because of just my network and industry and stuff like that. And it's something I always want them to know, right? Like, hey, we're friends first. This might not work out. That's fine. You can call me one day and say, hey, we're going another route. And I'm not going to take offense to that. Like, I'm, I'm fine with that, you know? It's like you, you use this term tribe, which yeah. I really liked. Um, I thought that was a brilliant sort of term. It's something actually after I had children, I applied to my uh, children's friends and like the parents. I was like our tribe, you know, so we know where our children are at. I hadn't ever thought of it as um, uh, in a corporate way. But then when I started thinking as you explained it, that yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not to be offending to like American Indians or anything like that. It literally is just for me. It was like a- <laughs> That's, no, I never even thought about that, but it's good that you're being PC. Well, I have friends who are American Indian that have actually made that comment to me. Like, that's not a really great term to, to describe. Um, they couldn't really explain it to me other than it was an American Indian term. But, um, and it's probably even before them. But anyway, it's like, so for me, the whole tribe ability is, is like, we, the one great part of I, you know, like me meeting you and, and having this conversation and just little by little adding to that network and getting it bigger and bigger and bigger. It does become like, I mean, we're so disappeared and we're all over the place, but yet we still are trying to help each other, right. For the betterment of the community. And sometimes like we're in competition. Like I constantly run in and get questions from people who are like in Detroit, right. Which is just down the road. And they'll, and I know they're a competitor and they'll say, Oh my gosh, Tim, like, we're struggling with this. Like, what have you done? And I share, I mean, I, I share because I'm hoping that it will come back. And I know some of them won't ever share. They'll go, oh my God, Jim's an idiot. I can't believe he told me that, you know, I pulled one over on him. They didn't like, <laughs> they didn't pull one over on me. I'm just, I just think the more we share, the more I get back. And it's, it's worked out really well for me over the last decade. And, and so I just keep doing it and it seems to work out well. I think the first time I ever spoke with you, you were just so open to sharing and and to offering me advice on my conference and what I'm doing and I just remember when I got off the phone and I kept telling people I said I feel like the nicest person I ever spoke to is Tim Sackett I and so I just 
just good for you. I, I mean, I, I really appreciated just the advice that you gave me and just how open you were because you have a conference. And I mean, like I'm in Los Angeles and, and you're in Michigan. And um, so, so I just, I appreciate that you have that mentality. And I think it's just one of those things where if people followed that sort of, of, you know, persona that things would, the world would be better, Tim. <laughs> I think there is, I think there's a bit of a fear, right? Like if I'm a, a TA leader in a company and I share something and someone dumps on it, like if we get back to this kind of mentality we have right now, it, it seems like across the world, then I'm, I'm probably less likely. And so often I, I see people that are new to the industry or newer to the social side of our industry, the sharing side, and they'll share something and somebody else is like, oh my gosh, like that's so like, you know, four years ago or 101 or whatever. And I'm like, it is, but it's not to them. And oh, by the way, we have new people entering our workforce and our industry every single day that that's going to be a piece of gold to them. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of that. That's so great. Like we constantly forget about that. Like just because I've taken 10 years to really throw myself into this industry and learn a lot doesn't mean that there's not somebody walking into my industry tomorrow that's brand new that I could tell them the most elementary thing and they think it's great. And when I go to speak at conferences, I don't, I call them the one percenters. I, I, I put myself in that as well, but there's all these kinds of influencers and bloggers and writers and speakers and, and tech people. They're all one percenters and I don't write for them. I don't speak to them. I'm speaking to like the 90% of the people that really still want to learn that still are a sponge that still don't, they don't believe they know everything. And I, I don't know. I I'm truly don't think I, that I know everything. I know I know a lot of stuff. But there's so many people that I know that I follow that I read that know so much more than me. And I'm constantly trying to keep that top of mind yeah. that every day there's somebody new to our industry that just wants to learn something very simple. And if I talk down to them, like what a crushing thing that would be, you know, um, versus really trying to help them like understand in detail, like where they could take that piece of knowledge. You know? couple of things I, I want to touch on. and. I you know, that whole thing about like, you know, being aware of trolls and, and just allowing society to judge them, gold, yeah. right? And I think that that's great advice, you know, for me as I'm going forward and, and building um, the things that I'm doing over here. Um, I wanted to ask you about trends that you see coming up in 2019. I also want to ask about your book, The Talent Fix. So yeah. in your conference, your conference is annual? Yeah, we usually do it. Um, like first week or so in November. Um, and it's been kind of all over Michigan. We've had it in like four different locations. It's usually corporate. Um, it's all corporate TA. And so I do get some, some, some garbage locally about not allowing staffing. Um, but what we found over time, um, and we've been doing about five years is anytime we offer or anytime we invite the staffing folks, the corporate folks don't show up because the staffing folks can't turn off the sales part, you know? So this, the, the corporate folks don't want to necessarily come. And so we've only opened it up to corporate TA and, and the, the response has been through the roof. They have a hundred and the leaders and they just feel like this camaraderie um, with each other in terms of the things that they're facing. Um, and we bring in speakers and stuff like that. So, um, then we have a corporate host. So we've had it at GM, we've had it at Quicken Loans, um, you know, different places across, you know, the state of Michigan. So there was a little glitch in the, in the, oh. 
video it was it was it was kind of it like it paused and then it caught up and you're talking oh. really fast so um but i think that that's interesting because so i got off the phone with a um with uh will stanny um with yeah. proactive talent this morning yeah. and um you know we were talking about him participating at lax tech recruit and talking about you know just the idea of wanting to brand more in Los Angeles and what that market looks like. And, um, you know, I'm still developing the conference, right? I've had two so far. I had one in Los Angeles, one in Orange County, and I learned a lot as I'm sure you have what works and what doesn't work. And, um, you know, we have some funny stories and we have some like, you know, it just, it just evolves. And so how will the next one work? What is the market going to be? And, and just all the different segments about that. So it's, it's interesting to hear how you'll have, you have the no staffing agency rule. And, and so I just, I think of maybe that's something that we could possibly incorporate, but I need to kind of get a, a, a strategy session together perhaps on how that might look. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'll come to a point where I think the community that we've created in Michigan at Michigan Recruiters will be strong enough to push back, right? And so then we can invite our staffing peers in as well. And, and then they'll be able to go, no, 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 this is not the environment, right? Because the conference isn't about um, selling, it's, it's about development of recruiting skills. So that's what that's about. So I don't need some staffing person sitting next to a corporate person trying to say, oh, well, you know, you work with any firms, like just like the most garbage kind of sales and they will. And if you, and if they if that happens once that corporate person won't come back again. And yeah. so that, you know, so we kind of went down that path, but um, I do think like when we take a look at the trends, I, I always want to go back because like I, I, I we do um, surveys after our conference and say, Hey, what did you like? What'd you not like? What do you want more of? And I'm always sh somewhat shocked at the, the stuff they want more of is really blocking and tackling basic stuff. They want more like sussing, like we want more sourcing stuff. And I'm like, oh, you want more advanced sourcing stuff? No, we want more stuff like, you know, like Angie, like Angie Veros did with email subject lines that, that get responses and stuff like that. They want, they want silver bullets. They want tips and tricks and stuff they can take back and start using the next day. And, and we try to, we try to keep raising the level of conversation so far and so strategic that a normal run-in-the-mill recruiter that's in the weeds every single day is like, yeah, it's interesting, but like it didn't help me get better. It might help me think differently or think at a higher level, but it didn't help me get better as a recruiter. And I think there, therein lies the challenge I have is continuing to kind of mix in both, right? So you have some people who have been with us five years who kind of want to start elevating the conversation at the same time every single year. We have these you know, the new people coming in that this is their first conference and they just want to know how do you get somebody to pick up a phone? You know? <laughs> that's so, that's so key too, because yeah, it's just, it's a diverse group and you want to have the strategic level, but you also want to have like the, you know, the hound search, you know, the Boolean basics, x-ray, Dean DaCosta was at our last conference and yeah. he was on the panel and then we had to do, had him do a workshop at one o'clock and he held the room until three. <laughs> I was, 
I was looking around saying, where, where is everybody? Half of the conference is gone. And they were across the hall in Dean DaCosta's workshop. And yeah. hands down, my survey afterwards, everybody was just like that. Those tips and tricks from Dean DaCosta were just amazing. And that's what a lot of people liked. Lou Adler was our second highest rater. Um, rated speaker and it's just you know you learn kind of but it's just it's diverse so back to trends <laughs> yeah that's what we're doing we're, we're creating a curriculum so what is your curriculum or what is your conference looking like this year um, I mean I, there's definitely a lot of interest around recruitment marketing and just um, the techniques and, and strategies behind that like and again probably less strategy more technique so how do you how do you get better talent to be interested in you and i think there's even a demarcation line there between employment branding and job branding that we'll really start to focus on so it's more of if you think about a normal candidate a candidate doesn't go and say uh oh, what company do i want to work for today they usually go i'm uh whatever i'm a software engineer and i want to be a software engineer so i'm going to go work as a software engineer or whatever that might be and so they look at jobs, right? So the job brand initially might be more, you know, um, important than the actual employment brand. And yet from a corporate talent acquisition side, we spend 80% of our time on employment brand and almost no time on job brand. We still cut and paste 1984 job descriptions and throw them in a job post and think like that's going to actually attract somebody. And so there's a lot of um, tools and techniques around the job brand side of getting people kind of interested in that. We get back to the CRM, nurturing, um, different techniques and stuff like that. I think everybody's interested in that. We're still in this, in this really low unemployment environment. So it's still a lot of about talent attraction. It's still a lot of about how do you fill the funnel with, with talent and then go through it. I think though, as we start to see a softening, we'll also add in a lot of round assessments because we're gonna see organizations that now wanna upgrade. Like how do we get better? Like, um, you know, we have 10 engineers now um, we have a couple low performers. We want to replace them with something that's better. So we we can't just keep doing the same process we've been doing over the last four or five years when we're desperate for to find anybody. Now we need to find something better. And there's some just exceptional assessment science um, that's on the market right now that are doing some really cool things that are that are really um, take. Let's say you had a hundred you know applicants apply to a job. Like a lot of this stuff comes back and will tell you like, hey here's the 10 out of that 100 that you really need to talk to, or here's the five or whatever that might be, versus traditionally we would just go look at the first 20, call some, some would reply back. 80% of those people would never even have a, a sniff of what we you know, want. And again, the best person might be in those 80, probably it would be in those 80. Are there particular software that you are talking about that you, that you like, that you've demoed or that you're using? Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of them um, around like cognitive ability. So like people think of HireVue as like a video interviewing, but the reality is, is they've really added a ton to their tech stack about around assessments, around selection. Uh, Pymetrics is an, another one that started kind of um, yeah. just as a gaming kind of assessment tool. Is that I think what we're, yeah, I think what we're seeing is... Um, it turns out that if you hire smart people, that usually works out pretty well for most companies at any level, at any position. And so cognitive ability. So to be able to assess cognitive ability really quickly in an assessment process or apply process becomes critical for all kinds of jobs, not just tech jobs, but like retail jobs, restaurant jobs, you know, warehouse 
sales jobs, whatever. Hire smart people. They don't, and you can't judge smart people by having a degree because we know a ton of dumb people that have degrees. So it's really about you know intelligence, cognitive ability, being able to process information very quickly. And I think a lot of these game, game, gaming kind of assessments are being able to do that in a really great way, and the, the data shows that. So. Wow, that's that's really cool. Yeah, um, we we had Nathan Mandragon from Hireview um, at our last conference. He did a fantastic job. It was it was um, a really engagement engaging presentation. So a lot of new things coming on the front there. Yeah, for sure. So, so and I get, I think there's a lot around um, how we're utilizing our own internal databases as well. I mean, I think the staffing world has always been farther ahead of the corporate world in this, but the, the corporate side, I think, has to, you know, leverage technology to really understand the value they have in their internal databases. Some of these companies have tens of millions of candidates in their database. And yet they'll come to me and say, well, we're, we're, we can't find anybody. We're begging for talent. We have a thousand openings. You're like, you, you have 10 million candidates in your database. And they just don't know how to leverage their database. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of well, a lot of the conversations I've been having um, over the last six months. And um, so my background is actually in business intelligence uh, data analysis. Um, I have a degree in corporate finance. And I started... My first career was actually as a financial analyst and um, working with data and SQL and, and what have you. And um, so in, in talking about, uh, what were we talking about? I was just like going off on a tangent. Using data for internal databases, stuff like that. Like using yes, your, okay, your database you. better. Thank you. Um, so seeing um, Raghav from Corn Ferry. So he had this quote and he was talking about, and, and we were having this conversation of, about your data and, and, your, and your, your applicant tracking system and your, your database, you know, and really your, your intelligence and, your, and the way you analyze that data is only going to be as good as the information that you have in your database. So if it's resumes and you're looking and you have this huge database of resumes and you're trying to find really good candidates, you know, it's, it's the type of candidates that you have in there. And, and I think one of the things that resonated with me is when I first started uh, my agency, IT Talent Search, I had a um, applicant tracking system, which you mentioned earlier. <laughs> and and I was, we were just pulling everything from all the job boards into it. And a lot of it was trash. And mm -hmm. so when you were doing a search and trying to bubble up that better talent, a lot of the trash was coming with it as well as like those fake resumes that were, you know, suddenly then you get the hot list from a company in India and you're like, where did this come from? Um, but it's just really about how good that information is in there. That's going to make your assessments better. Right. Yeah, we would, we would only like, I mean, again, we've been in business for a long time, but we, the only people that get into our database are people that we've actually screened right so um, whether they say yay or nay or whatever like they're not going to get in there until we know because I know a lot of organizations I'll say oh we have access to monster and let's just dump as many monster resumes into our database as we can because you never know in the future we might need them and you're like yeah but then you, when you're you know then your database just becomes crap you know from that standpoint so but going, you know, at the time, it seemed like a good decision to him. <laughs> no, everybody does it. You're not alone. Like, no, okay. I mean, I, I will it. not do it again. It's, yeah. 
I mean, I, mean, I think in my world, my, my time in the staffing world, we've probably been through four different systems. And every time we change and go to another system, we truly have to have this sit down, drag out fight over, do we just start brand new or do we bring in the data from the old system? And if so, what data do we bring in and how, right? Because do I need to bring in data that somebody at one point, you know, hey, yep, we interviewed the person, we screened them, everything was great. And then five years, we no one's talked to them. Does that person really need to come over to the new database? Uh, probably not, you know. Um, but, you know, everyone struggles with that. Yeah, that's, um, I, I think one of the decisions I made, because I was in a similar, like, what do we do with the ATS and all the information that's in there as we're moving to a new one? And what I found is in my emails were the quality candidates, the ones who I had actually engaged with, anybody I spoke with, anybody I submitted, anybody who actually was worth anything um, that you know replied to anything was in our was in our emails, was in our Outlook. So that actually became sure. our gold sort of database right there. Um, well, that, that's the whole con. That's yes. it's really it's kind of the concept behind Google Hire, right? The, the ATS they developed for the for the corporate side, like what they knew was recruiters spend so much time in their email that we have to have an ATS that really is kind of built around that. And if we can make that happen, then we know we'll have one tool that the recruiters will spend all their time in, you know. Have you tried that? Have you tried Google Hire? Well, no, it's, it's just for SMB corporate and you have to use the, the Google suite to, to, do, to use it. So, um, I mean, I've, I've demoed it, seen it, like I really like it. Like if I was an SMB corporate, person I, and when we and you were using the Google suite internally I definitely would you know have that on a consideration list because I think there's so much power there of what you can do with them yeah yeah I have we could probably go on about like you know did the infrastructure and that I'm like my experience. um but I do want to <laughs> I want to talk about your book actually I was um I called Barnes and Noble this morning to see if they had it <laughs> They said, Amazon. for you? And I was like, I need yeah. it now. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So tell me, tell me about that. Because this is an accumulation of all of your work and all of your experience that um, you've put into this book. Yeah. So I, I had the copy right here that you wanted. Barnes & Noble sent it to Thank me. you. <laughs> um, no, like I forever, like I, when you write blogs, like everyone always says, oh, you should write a book, you should write a book. And for years, for years, for years, for years. And, and that, what I knew I could do was write a 500 word blog post. I didn't know if I could write a 65,000 word book. That's a little bit different kind of set of tools, I think. Um, and so eventually I just got to the point where I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write it. And part of it was, you know, like you talked about early on, like I, I'm, I give to the community a lot. And I take a lot of calls and I, and I set up a lot of calls and I have a very full schedule. And, and one of the pieces that it started to feel a little overwhelming to me because I got so many calls of people going, we're looking for a new ATS. Which one do you think? And can you, call, can you set up a call for an hour? And I'm just like, no, I can't. Like, we're looking, we're, I want to do this. Can you set up, you know? And it was all this, it, I mean, it's one thing if it said, like, hey, I want to, uh, you know, we want to hire you as a consultant or we want to do this. It was, this was all like, hey, we just, I want you to suck everything out of your brain for free. And, you know, you should do that because I read your blog. And I'm just like, ah, oh, that's a little unfair. <laughs> I give away a lot of information on my blog and now you want me to even put more time in. You just feel cheap. So, yeah, so the, the book was really, 
if, if I was to come in from day one and take over a recruiting shop or develop a recruiting shop from scratch or whatever that might be, what would I do? How would I do? And just threw it all out there. Right. And so, you know, there's like, you know, there's a lot of people I think would sit there and say, Oh my gosh, like that's the secret sauce. It's like you're getting it away. The reality is, as we know, 99% of people will never do it, you know? So they'll read it. They'll say, Oh my gosh, it's great ideas. They won't implement. Um, the hope is right. That they'll call me and say, Hey, I read your book and can you come do that for us? (laughs) And I'm like, you can kind of do it yourself, but no, sure. Like I can do it for you. Here's how much it's going to cost. You know, that's, um, no, you're absolutely right. And, and I think, (laughs) I think there's a quote in the Bible that actually, that is about that. (laughs) Actually it's, uh, um, and, and I feel bad. I don't quite know where it was, but I, I remember that somebody, um, had said, you know, I really want to be like you and I want to do what you're doing. And, you know, how do I do that? And yeah, and yeah you want to be like me, you want to do what I'm doing, <laughs> but you don't want to put in the time to do it. Yeah, that's, right? that's the, it's the Gary V thing, right? Where people, you know, always say like, Oh, Gary, you know, I want to be like you and I want to hustle and I want to have this, I want to be an entrepreneur. And, I have people constantly that say, oh my gosh, I want to blog, right? I want to be a blogger or I want to do what you do and write in the industry. And, and how can I do that? And I'm like, it's easy. I mean, any 10 year old can put a blog up and I mean, there's a million mommy blogs. It's not like it takes a lot of technical know-how to write on a blog. Um, what you have to do though, is start writing and then you have to be consistent and you have to have a cadence and you have to keep doing it. And then, you know, after 10 years, then we'll be, you'll be like me. Um, and they're just like, well, no, I want to go from zero to 10 years in like 30 days. And you're like, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't do that. Unless, you know, you're some like celebrity, like, you know, somehow like you're Kim Kardashian, you start a blog. Yeah. You're going to have millions of readers the first day, but that's, that's a rare point. Oh, 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 1% of the population. Yeah. In your book, you mentioned something about measuring the funnel. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So to me, I think it's probably the most underutilized thing in recruiting. And it should be the the one foundational thing that every single recruiting manager uses staffing, corporate RPO doesn't matter, which is it's all those activities that we have that lead to a placement. So it doesn't, right. And we all, that's at the end of the day, we're all about making placements. And so if, if I have the top of my funnel be just all the candidates in the world. And then how do I get those candidates to apply to my job? And then how do I screen those candidates? And then how do I, which ones do I send to the managers and which ones get interviewed? It's really measuring those steps right now in a, in a, in a traditional way, it, it becomes a pretty easy uh, ratio, right? It's how many candidates apply to the job, how many of those candidates that need to be screened, how many of those screen candidates get turned to a hiring manager, how many of the hiring manager interview, and then you can do ratios at every step. Right. And so, what I, what I use it for and what we use the funnel for is for development because we do a ton of training. So it's all about if I have, a, I might have a, um, a recruiter that's super good at sourcing. So like, oh my gosh, I got a hundred people to apply to this job. But then, you know, you didn't screen that many or you screened some, but when they went to the hiring manager, they were like, all these people are crap. So now I know I have uh, an issue with in terms of them being able to understand what the job specs are and the, and the, and the matching all of this. Or they'll get interviews set up. So they have a great relationship with a hiring manager. They're sending them talent that looks good. But then when they get to the interview, they're bombing. 
So now what do we have? Do we have a setup issue in terms of getting someone prepared for an interview? Did they not really understand what's going on with that position or whatever that might be? And then if, if they interview and the, and the manager likes them and they want to hire them, they should have a really high percentage of you know people that are accepted. Not, again, I have a closing issue, a pre-closing issue, whatever that might be. And so all these funnel metrics basically tell you the, the health of your, your TA function as a whole. And then it allows you to analyze where you're falling down and what you need to get better at, right? If you can't fill the top of the funnel with candidates, you have a recruitment marketing branding issue, right? You got to solve that. <laughs> if you can't, if you're getting tons and tons of candidates and yet you can't get them through the screening process, well, you know, now you have a capacity issue, uh, you know, that's bottlenecking there. And there's all kinds of stuff that you can kind of analyze based on that. I like one of the things that you talked about, which was being a, a talent agent for your recruiters and for your mm -hmm. team. And, and um, I think, Explain that a little bit because it felt like it was kind of like this Jerry Maguire sort of yeah. mentoring. Yeah, the, it's the best example, right? So the Jerry Maguire movie, you know, Jerry quits the agency and goes on his own and he has Rod Tidwell, right, as his one client. Um, and, and the analogy is, have you ever worked for a boss that you felt was like Jerry because all Jerry wanted was success for Rod. Like he, anything he could do to make Rod successful, that was his end game right? It's because it was the only client he had. And can you imagine as yourself as a leader, they're really the only job you have is to make your people successful. And if they, if you, if that's what you know you do, and that's what they feel like you're doing, then you've won, right? Then you're going to be a great leader. And for the most part, success should follow that as well. Um, I mean, I think there's some people, I, I, I run into leaders that will say, oh yeah, Tim, I read that. Like I'm, I'm all about making my people successful. And then they go out and beat the crap out of their people. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know if they're feeling successful. <laughs> I think they're right. feeling like you're beating the crap out of them. I think there's a way to understand to say, hey, if you want to be successful, you have to do this, this, and this. And they have to make that decision. And you're going to have some people that will decide they don't want to be successful. And those are the people that you give a gift to, which is you need to go find someplace else where you're willing to put that time and effort and energy in. It's not going to be here, Right. I'm going to give you every tool, every chance, every ability to be successful. I'm not going to beat the crap out of you. Like that's just not who I am. I don't think that's going to help you be successful. Now, the old school Bobby Knight coach in me would say, well, there's a little, that's a little misnomer, right? Because you can push people really super hard and they'll be successful. But the only way that happens and what, what people miss is they think that like Bobby Knight's players or Tom Izzo's players or Mike Krzyzewski's players hated them. They don't. Those players first know that that coach loves them unconditionally. It's the one person they always have in their corner. Then that allows that coach to really push them super hard. Leaders like screw up on that all the time. They ne what they do is they go out there and say, oh, I'm going to push you like Bobby Knight. And that person goes, I don't trust you. I don't like you. I don't love you. Like, I'm not going to take that from you. And so I think there's that, that you know, they, that disconnect that happens where we have to figure out how do we get our team to truly trust that the only thing I have on my mind is their success. And because I know if they're successful, I'm going to be successful. So I don't worry about my own success. I'm only worried about their success. And they have to know that, trust that, believe that. And then that allows me to push them to higher levels. Tim, I love so much how you said <laughs> letting them go is a gift because I'll tell you, I mean, 
one of the first recruiters I hired for my agency, and this is 10 years ago, um, I remember I, they were sitting in their seat. I had their applicant tracking. I had their desk. I had their, I was so proud of myself for hiring and they yeah. didn't perform. And yeah. it, for me, I kept questioning what I was doing wrong. What am I doing wrong? How can I help this person? And you know, what can we, can we do? Like, um, you know, I think I, I had uh, two of the recruiters sit and do games together to build the camaraderie. I just, I read different things that I could do. And it's just one of those things as a manager that, you know, if your team is performing, then you're doing something right. And so, uh, there was a point where I had to let that person go and it was and I still like for the longest time It was really hard for me, but I think that you nailed it right there And I think that's an important thing for those who are entrepreneurs entrepreneurs to know that sometimes you got to let your staff go and if you're thinking of it as giving them the gift to move on Well, I always say like Stacey have you ever worked for a job you hated right how miserable you are and usually when you have someone who's underperforming, they're miserable in the job. You're miserable, they're miserable. And, and then on the converse list, I'll ask people, have you ever had a job that you just love? Like you just got so much out of that job. Like it was the best thing ever. You couldn't wait to get up in the morning. You love going to work. That's the gift. The gift is working in a place where you feel that engaged, where you'll do anything. Like you're so you know, jazzed to be there. And if someone's miserable in the job you have them in, then you are giving them a gift if you allow them the capacity to go out and find that job. And so many people disconnect yes. that and say, well, you fired them and that's a miserable thing. And I'm like, yeah, but they're already miserable. Like I just gave them the opportunity now to find something that they'll be super passionate about. And if they do, in hindsight, they'll look back and say, oh my gosh, that was the best move that ever happened in my life that Tim fired me. And I, I mean, it was a gift that he gave me. Now, it takes some time for them to get there. When I, when I fire them, they don't go, Oh my God, thank you for this gift. It's so awesome. <laughs> like that's not the, that's not the feeling. Um, as you're, as I, you're shutting have, the elevator door. <laughs> but I have, like, it's funny, you I, out. I, I have a, um, a recruiter that I let go, um, probably about four years ago. Um, and I really liked him. A great guy. He was a good recruiter actually, but he was just miserable. He was miserable at life, personal life, work life. And the reason I let him go was because of that. He was so negative in the workplace. And six months later, I had a corporate leader call me and said, gosh, I need a, I need a recruiter. I need somebody. And I called him up and, said, and he hated me. He was so pissed when I let him go. He hated me. He would barely take my phone call. But he was out of a job. So, he, you know, he took the call. And I said, look, I want you to go talk to this leader and blah, blah, blah. And, and he's like, well, what did you tell her and stuff? And I just said that you know that we let you go because we had lack of work or whatever but i think this job would be a perfect fit and he's literally had four promotions since he's been at this new job um and it's taken him a long time to come back and understand like god i was a real jerk when i worked for you <laughs> like i was so yeah. negative and now i'm in this great job and now i'm in this great company something where i really fit and like it's changed my entire life and and so I've seen it work in real life. And again, I, and I've been let go from jobs, so I, you know, and so I'm not sitting there going, Oh, I don't know what it's like to feel like to be, you know, to be fired. Like I've been in miserable jobs and made people miserable around me and then and got into a great job and, and knew the difference. So I think that's really kind of where that comes from. Well, uh, Tim, the book is the talent fix. 
Yeah, available on Amazon, not at Barnes and Noble, apparently. <laughs> they actually, but they can order it at Barnes and Noble. They told me, so you can actually Good. get it anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thank you so much for being on the Tech Recruit podcast. I really appreciate all the things that you've shared with us today, and I hope we can continue to talk again. For our listeners, where can they find you? Google. Tim Sackett or TimSackett.com. Um, I'm literally the first 1,000 pages on Google. Well, there's there's another Tim Sackett. He's a truck driver chaplain. I'm not him, but it would be pretty cool if I was the same guy. But so. And hug your haters. <laughs> hug your haters. All right. Well, you have a great evening. Thank you so much for spending Thanks, time Stacey. with us. Bye, Tim. All right. Bye.